Good morning. Thank you for sharing your Sunday with us. I'm so glad you're here. And can I say, if you're here for the first time, welcome. Make sure we know you're here. Stop by to the uh, information center in the back and, and say hi and let us know you're here and how we can help you. Uh, welcome to those who are listening online. Uh, if you're listening online, I assure you I'm much better looking than I sound, or, or I sound better looking than I look. I can't remember. I'll have to ask Celeste, but uh, you can come next week and find out. Uh, we're in a series called Love and War, and talking about relationships. And last year, or last week, we talked about how Matthew 18 talks about conflict here in this church community, why we have that conflict. We talked about the fact that it's inevitable, and we're going to have conflict. So today we're going to talk about what do we do when something's wrong, when something's amiss. And some of you might be thinking uh, you can check out right now because, oh good, I'm not a Christ follower. I don't belong to this church, but hang in there, tune in, and uh, don't check out. Because the principles that we're going to le- learn today, you can use anywhere in any relationship. If it's in your soccer association, here at the church, in your home, uh, these principles will apply wherever you're involved in a relationship. And uh, if you weren't here last week and you want to catch up with the messages, just a reminder, you can go to cdac.ca slash messages, and all of our messages are there. Listen on uh, your favorite podcast app. If you want to take notes today, you can uh, pull out your program. There's sermon notes in there. The Bible verses we're going to be using will be on there, and the notes, if you'd like to follow along um, on your phone or any other device, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app. You can click on More. And click on events, and you'll see a little map. It'll have Circle Drive Church there, and all the notes will be on there as well. So I invite you to, however you want to follow along, do that. But here's the reality. If you have ever known anybody else, you've probably had some conflict in your life at some point. And conflict is not bad. Conflict can actually be good. It can sharpen us, make us better people, make us a better community. But we'll, what we don't want is to let conflict get out of control. And uh, everybody liked the video last week. So don't let it get out of control like this guy here. <laughs> or at least you can just talk to the cable people and get it all fixed. You know, as Canadians, as we saw in that video earlier, uh, the trash talk video, we kind of have this aversion to conflict. Well, we're nice. I could never like, step into somebody else's life and say anything to anybody else. Um, I would actually have no problem trash-talking the warriors, but that's not what we're here for. Um, But what if conflict isn't bad all the time? What if it can be good for us? What What if it can make us stronger? It can make us better? When we talk about conflict today, we're going to be talking about how is it that we can actually help somebody see what's going on in their life? How can we point out something that is not good for them, that can lead to conflict here in their families, in their homes? And how do we point out, last week we talked about those character flaws that Jesus says we need to take really seriously. If our character flaws and the things that we're doing are affecting the communities around us, we need to take that seriously and get that out of our life. So we're going to actually talk about um, how we can help people in that. So a question for you is, think about the most disciplined person you know. Or that, you know, it can be anybody, an athlete, somebody you know personally. We tend to have high respect for disciplined people. So you think about, like, that person's a very disciplined thinker, a disciplined student. They study hard. They get good grades. They, they move up and they do good things because they're disciplined. And we say, oh, I wish I could be more like that. Or an athlete, we say, oh, man. If you look at an Olympic athlete and the amount of sacrifice that they need to go through 
in that four years when they decide they're going to go into the Olympics, they give up everything. They discipline themselves for a goal so that they can be better and that they can actually do something of significance. Their discipline enables them to do great things. But the problem is we only see discipline as a good thing when we enforce it on ourselves. What if somebody else confronts us? What if somebody else uh, has to discipline us? We tend to not see that as a positive thing. Let's think about teenagers here. So teens, as parents, we're entrusted with these kids. So these kids, I remember a couple years ago we did a series on parenting which said the goal of parenting is to help our kids live without us and with God, to be independent, to grow up, to have a purpose and something to live for. So we we're entrusted with kids and we see things, where they can go. We see their skills and their strengths and where they can get better and where they can go. Now, for the teens that are in the room, the struggle that you have is just like, well, no, I want to be an adult. I want to start making some of these decisions. I want to I be independent and I, and I want to grow. And uh, those are all good things. That's the tension. We actually want that for you as well. I'll be honest, sometimes you don't make good decisions. <laughs> I didn't make good decisions when I was, when I was a kid. And sometimes you've got to learn through those mistakes. But that's, we're doing that in partnership, parents and kids working together. But we don't like to be disciplined or corrected by others. So here's what Jesus says to do. If you see something in someone's life and you need to point it out to them. So in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20, the notes will be up on the screen there. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So in this section here, there's a couple things that we want to look at. It starts off when your brother sins against you. Okay, ladies, you have the ability to sin too. So this just does not mean men. <laughs> and so if somebody sins against you, and actually some some translations, if you're following along in a different translation, it may not even have the words against you in it. Um, a lot of them just translate it, if, someone, if a brother sins, is what it says. Some of the manuscripts don't have that, and in this context, it's talking about what, what happens when one of us is doing something that's wrong. How do we step in and help? And... Uh, so before we go any further, I think it's important to really define what sin is. Now sin in its simplest form is anything that displeases God. But when we're talking about this confronting and disciplining, um, that can get kind of confusing and people like to lump a lot of things into sin. But let's try this. Let me give it a try on what, to be a little bit more specific on when it is that we jump in and confront somebody. I think these are in your notes as well. One, is it destructive to their spiritual growth? Are they doing something that's harming their relationship with God, that's not benefiting them? Is it destroying their witness of Jesus or their church community? 
this is something when we worked with students on campus for many years and we were um, uh, we talked to a lot of students about faith and God and uh, especially small town students would say oh, I would never go to church I'd never want to be a Christian and you say why and so and it's often the most vocal person about being a Christian in that town was also known as the cheat the person who abused people they wouldn't pay people they wouldn't do these things and so people like in their hypocrisy, they just say, hey, I'm the best Christian in the world, but yet I'm just going to treat everybody poorly. And so that destroys their witness. Nobody wants to go to a church if that's the kind of people that come out of there. The third, is it hurting their friendships? Can you see that from the outside? Can you see that what they're doing is hurting their friendships? And the fourth, is it destroying them personally? We talked about this last week, the hell that we create here on earth and our decisions just spiral out of control. So we're going to look at the procedure for conflict and then we're going to end off Jesus leaves us with a promise for conflict. Now the procedure, for those of you who are very linear, black and white thinkers, you're going to like this because there's a list. He just tells me exactly what to do. Some people just want to know exactly what to do. So we're going to go through uh, this passage and we're going to talk about what Jesus says to do in that situation. So the first thing Jesus says is, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is an important step, probably the most important step. If you've been around church circles or any kind of circles, you'll know that this is not an easy step for people. See, conflict is hard. and It is much easier to talk about somebody than it is to talk to somebody. And so, um, what often happens, and I call this um, like forming your army, if I've got a problem with, um, say, one of the pastors here, and um, I try to spiritualize it by telling other people, like, I really care for pastor so-and-so. I think something's wrong because he's doing this and he's doing that. We need to pray for him. It's very spiritual, right? We need to pray for him, of course. Like, how could it be wrong? And I often describe it as building your army. So, what people will do is just like, well, I want to go in and win this argument. And so I know that I'm right. They need to know that they're right. So I'm going to gather my friends, and I'm going to gather these people, and then we'll go and we'll tell him, and we're going to win this battle. Problem is, the other person doesn't even know that they're in a war most of the time. Right? You just show up and you confront them. And, um, and this whole thing about, I've seen this over and over and over again. People will say, oh, we need to pray for this person. We need to pray for this person. They're doing this. I think that is one of the most insidious things, to take something sacred as praying, being able to talk to our Creator, and then just transforming prayer into gossip. Because that's often what we're doing. We just want to let somebody else know what we know, so we pray for them. But it turns into gossip. So if somebody has done something against you, or you see something that's, that's harming them in some way, you go to them. You tell them what they see. You tell them how you've been hurt. Don't call the church office and say, hey, who takes care of this stuff? Because uh, that happens. <laughs> you know, like somebody did this. I need you to go fix them. No, Jesus says you go. You have the ability. And this makes us better people. This helps us in our relationships. And then... Um, So you go tell them you're hurt. If someone comes to you, this is another important thing. If someone comes to you and tells you, hey, Pastor so-and-so has been doing this, or let's pray for them, our responsibility is just to say, 
There's one simple question. Have you talked with them about this yet? Actually, write that down. Have you talked about, to them about this yet? Because if not, then we get involved in the gossip. And so if they haven't, you say, well, go talk to them and just let me know what happens because I don't want to get involved in something if you haven't talked about it with them yet. You know, a lot of the conflict, it's not very often that uh, being on the board of the church or that conflict actually comes up to that level and that we need to look after this. A couple times in 15 years. Um, at my work, we see this, you know, there's all kinds of places where I've been asked to walk into some conflict and help people through this. Almost every single time, it's because somebody has some unresolved conflict with another person. They didn't feel like they could confront them. They didn't talk about it. And it's been five years, 10 years, 17 years where somebody's been harboring something against somebody. And so all because they wouldn't go and talk to somebody. But what happens if they don't listen to you? What happens if you go and they say, oh, well, whatever. You believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. This is what Jesus says. He says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I love the first part of this. Is you'll notice that it, so if a person listens to you when you first confront them, you have gained them back. This is the goal. The goal is not to win an argument. The goal is to restore people to healthy relationships. Um, that's Jesus' goal. The whole Bible is that story of we had these healthy relationships. We had this relationship with God, with each other, with nature. that was broken when sin entered the world. And it's this whole mess that we're in now. But that's what we're trying to get back to. And that's the goal, bringing them back into right relationships. But sometimes people are so entrenched in their sin or they're hurt, it's so bad that they can't or they won't confront their own sin. I want to do what I want to do, or I don't have the skills or the ability or the tools to, to work this through in my life, and they give up. So when this happens, it says bring one or two other people with you. And why would Jesus say that? Why bring one or two other people? In my life, I've had to do this a couple times. I've talked to somebody. Uh, they didn't see the need to change. Um, now, something about me, I believe I'm always right. I just always do. You can ask Celeste. She will tell you that's true. But, like, but I've thought things through. I've thought that if I think it's right, it must be right. But I've asked other people to come along with me, and they've said, well, you're kind of being a jerk about this or whatever. Or more likely what happens is, when I get involved in conflict, I don't like conflict. I try to avoid it as much as possible, which is not good. We'll talk about that. Um, but if I'm in, I'm all in. And so this is the way it's got to be. And so I have people around me that when I've had to enter into this, they've helped me think through things like, this is actually a person with feelings that could have something going on in their life. And I need those kind of reminders because I just get to barrel ahead you know, if we need to take care of conflict, I got the map right here, Matthew 18. Let's just go through it, and we're done with it. But I have people around me that are good people that also love those people that we have to talk to that help me. So it brings clarification. But it also gives you the opportunity to have a witness there, to have somebody to, to realize what was said, what happened, 
Uh, in the Bible, there's always like, you can't make a charge against somebody unless you have some witnesses. It's not like today where uh, I can actually go online and I can say anything about anybody and ruin their career and ruin their reputation because everybody will share it. And so it's not like that. You actually need some witnesses, some people that know what's going on. And this can't be done properly if you're gathering your army. You're bringing people who are just going to say what you want to say. We'll see this pattern of increasing the number of people to come around and care for that person. Because when people are, are doing things that maybe aren't right, sometimes they don't know. Sometimes there's hurt, there's pain, there's stuff going on in their life. You remember last week when um, Jesus ended off what we talked about last week where he said, you know, we have, let's say we have 99 people in here and one of you kind of goes, goes astray. He leaves the rest of us and goes after that person. That's God's heart for that person. And I think a lot of people have left the community because they felt like they're not cared for. There's something going on in their life. Nobody walks alongside with them. And sometimes it's just because we think, well, that's a private thing. I probably shouldn't step in there. But it can't be done properly if the people that are confronting this person don't love them and want the best for them. So this is where things like being involved in a circle group or some people that have some relationship with you, with your family. But what happens if even that doesn't work? Jesus says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And here's where things get tricky. So this has been handled really poorly in some situations. Um, I've heard stories of people who've uh, they've had issues with leadership, and this has happened, and that's happened, and then they, they parade them up on stage and say, this is Brent. Brent is not a nice person. He doesn't, you know, do this and that. And, and so it's, it's very much shame-based. We're going to bring them up and shame them because hopefully that will fix them. I don't know how you would do that in today's church community. Think if we had two or three services here, and I need you to come back at 10.30 so we can do this all over again. I don't think that's the way it works. And, uh, but churches have handled this really poorly because they want to make sure that they get the communication out that this person's bad, we had nothing to do with this. And I think this is where the people closest to the offender, again, are brought in to tell them about the seriousness of the issue. Again, this is what like circle groups are for. These people want to help us grow in community, in right relationship. If you're involved in men's ministry, the leaders of the men's ministry can come around this person and say, you know, what they said is true. We see this in your life. If you're on the worship team, the other members of the worship team, or wherever you're serving, that's the goal, to have that kind of community where we can speak into each other's lives and help each other walk through that. And to be honest, most people never make it to this level of correction. I've seen this um, in every church that I've worked with, if somebody is really um, entrenched in their own views and in sin, something that's harming the community and the church leadership will, will talk to them, it's usually once, twice like this, and the third time when they call them back, I call it quitting before you get fired. They just say, you know what? No, I'm not going to come to your meeting. I withdraw my membership and I'm going to take all my problems to the building down the street. It happens all the time. That's not good for this community because it's confusing. It's not good for that person because what they're doing is they're just harboring something 
that needs to be dealt with. It's not good for the new church that the couple goes to or the person or whoever it is. Because sooner or later, it's like a grass is greener on the other side. You know, like, well, this, this is better. They don't have this problem here. But what we don't understand is often we're the ones bringing the problems into a community. We're all imperfect and things pop up. So, so we often don't get here, but this is really important. Not that we can win an argument against that person, but that we can bring them back to healthy relationship. So we need groups of people around us to surround us in love that are willing to speak into our life. And then Jesus keeps going. He says, if he refuses even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And this part is the part that really gets messed up by, by some communities. Some churches have taken this to mean that, look, if a person's not going to listen, you're out of here. I know people who have been shunned by their churches, where everybody has to take them off Facebook. Um, I know somebody, she was lent a freezer for her family. Um, she was kicked out of a church, and then two guys from the church showed up. We need the freezer back. You're no longer a member of our church. It's, it's ridiculous. But people take the Bible here and they say, well, Jesus said, treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector. And here's the problem with this type of discipline. So a Gentile and a tax collector, Jesus is talking to a group of Jewish people here. So those are the outsiders. You know, a Gentile, somebody who's not Jewish, a tax collector was the person that just everybody hated because they did, they took their money Nobody likes the tax man, let's be honest. Um, and so, but they were doing like all these like things that were not good. And this verse gets misused to say that, look, if you're not one of us, you are not welcome here. And I don't know how they get that because that's so counterproductive. And we just talked about this last week. I talked about how there's things in my life that I could fix, some actions that I could fix, but my heart I could not fix. I needed Jesus to actually give me a new heart, change my heart slowly but surely over time. In some ways, we're incapable of changing ourselves. We need God. And so we need a place here where we can belong before we believe. You don't have to be a Christian to be sitting in this room listening actually if you're not i'm so glad you're here you're exactly why we exist to help you on your journey towards jesus and if your struggle is to believe talk to the information desk at the back and ask them when our next alpha class is we have community specifically for that so that you can come with whatever questions you have no one's going to condemn you for those questions no one's going to say that's a stupid question they're going to walk alongside you and journey with you So the goal isn't to like kick people out. It's to help them along the way in this relationship with Jesus. And so hear me well. If you're not a Christ follower, you are more than welcome here. We'll journey alongside you. But to the church family, you know, when we agree to be a member, we agree to certain things. We agree to supporting the leadership of the church, so, um, giving to the church, being involved in things. And so there's certain things that we agree to. And if we're not willing to let somebody come alongside us and we really just want to live our own way, 
then we need to have some conversations. And if you're not a Christ follower, I'd like to think that people here have treated you with love and respect and kindness and be willing to walk alongside you on that journey. Because our goal is here to journey with any person who's trying to journey towards Jesus and towards truth. And when we hold church members accountable, we're still helping them. Even though we're believers, we all need help getting put back on the path to journey towards Jesus. A lot of our life, well, a lot of my life, and you can evaluate if it's true for you, but I found this true of most people, my selfishness does not go away. I see it less and less, some days, some days more. But we kind of want what we want, and we need people to help guide us and steer us on that path. Okay, so that's the procedure for handing discipline with each other. But here's the promise that Jesus ends with. He doesn't just say, do these things, bing, bang, boom, we're all done. He leaves us with a promise. He says, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is an interesting promise. Jesus, earlier in the book of Matthew in chapter 16, Jesus gives this promise to Peter. He says, I'm giving you the keys to the church. And he said he had the authority to loose things on earth and bind things on earth. And so the loose and binding, what, what that means is like he can make judgments within the church. He can kind of run the thing and make sure that it's working properly. But here in this chapter, Jesus gives the authority here to all people who are believers in Jesus. To loose and to bind things and to, to be able to make judgments. So like this is good, this is not so good. So he's given all of us this authority. And this verse has been taken out of context a lot. We could probably do a whole Sunday on this because uh, people will use that verse for all kinds of things, like saying things, well, as long as there's two Christians in the room, God's going to do whatever we tell him. And if that's, yeah, go back and listen to the series on prayer that we just had a couple months ago. That's not how God works. It's not like, okay, well, we've got two here. We asked for this. God's going to do it. In the context here, he's talking about, like, we all have the authority to be a part of this. There's a problem with authority, though. It tends to get abused. There's a cycle. We get some authority. We discipline others. And like, hey, that feels good. I was right. I was able to help somebody. And so we go looking for more discipline. Well, I need to discipline somebody else. I'm getting really good at this. This must be my spiritual gift is picking people off. But that's not how it works. So I want to give you my final thoughts on conflict and discipline. This is the so what. There's three things that conflict needs to be grounded in. The first is love. See, the authority that we have to be able to step into other people's lives needs to be coupled with love for the other person. I like Warren Wearsby wrote this. He says, if we practice love without truth, it is hypocrisy. But if we try to have truth without love, it may be brutality. Jesus always taught the truth in love. If the truth hurts, it is because faithful are the wounds of a friend. The verse from Proverbs 27. Remember that the goal of discipline 
is to win the other person back, not win an argument. You're doing this for their good, for our good, this whole church community is good. The second thing is prayer. Love and authority we share need to be grounded in prayer and led by God's Spirit. So this community that we are in, in the church here, we need to learn how to be less Canadian and challenge those that call themselves Christians to consider their actions when they're not living up to God's standards. When two or more people are gathered and asking for the restoration of that person, this is the context, God is right there agreeing. And God actually cares way more about that person than I do or that you do. And that's his promise, that he's there. He's the one that can change them. He's the one that can change us. And he's willing to do that. I shared last week how when I started following Jesus, there were some things that I could change, but I couldn't change my heart. And that's the goal here, that God will journey with us in that. And the third thing is community. This love, authority, and prayer needs to be shared in community. It's interesting because when one person is disciplined, we're all disciplined. Uh, the church is talked about as Christ's body. So when I've got a problem with my foot, I fix my foot because I can't walk properly. I've got a problem with my hand, I fix my hand because I can't eat properly. So when we're working with each other and helping each other be better, we're actually making this community better as we all grow to become more like Jesus. So now what? Okay, don't go looking for conflict, but take courage to walk into it. Um, your job's not to walk out into common ground and say, Jim, you are a drunkard. Mary, don't laugh because you're a gossip. That's not what this is about. Okay, so that's not how we handle this. This is something we need to listen to God on. If God says, hey, Brent, I need you to talk to that person, I need to be willing to say, hey, this is what's going on. Or if you see something and you say, you know what, I've seen this in your life, I don't think this is helping you in these areas. I used to give a, yeah, so don't go looking for a fight. I used to give a talk on when we were on campus for a number of years. Um, the young ladies on campus actually came up and asked me to teach the men how to ask women out. And uh, I'm like, what? And they're like, yes, you need to teach the men how to ask women out. Because they would just, so here's, okay, I'll give you the really quick version, you single guys. Um, so guys would, like, just stay by a woman. Like, you go anywhere you go, like, after a weekly meeting, you'd sit by them, you'd stay by them. So one, um, so people might think that you're dating. Other guys won't be comfortable around you. And then hopefully by osmosis, somehow you're going to get married. That's... Guys, that's not a great dating strategy. It's actually backfired on a number of men I know. Um, so I'd have this talk, and I said, look, you need to take some initiative. And you need to say, hey, I would like to get to know you better. Would you like to go for coffee? Just something simple, just like that. And, um, and there's more to the talk. Like, you actually have to be man enough to hear the word no as well. And, um, but uh, inevitably... Whenever I would do that, usually at a conference, we'd do these at student conferences, and you'd see some guy, he'd like, he's got his top ten list, and he'd be like, okay, hey, you want to go sometime? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and so, like, I'm going to apply what I learned right now. That doesn't work either, because what guys don't know is that ladies talk, and that's kind of creepy. But, um, 
That's not what I'm saying to do. Don't go out and just start creating conflict. If you're thinking, I need to make this person stop doing this thing, that's probably not God. Remember, it's the heart behind it, that you care for this person. You know, um, I took a course, it was an 18-month course called Arrow Leadership, and uh, I was working with a lot of, there's a lot of pastors in this, in this class I was in, and we had a church, um, an expert on church uh, conflict come in. He wrote an amazing book. His job is if there was a failure, um, church split, moral failure, something like that, with a pastor and the church is in disarray, his job is he brings 15 people into this church, they interview every single member of the church, big, long, lengthy interview, and, um, and they do this very quickly after, after all this stuff happens because um, that's a traumatic thing for any church. And he's been doing this, I don't know, 15, 18 years, something like that. Every single church that they went to, he said every single church, numerous people within the congregation said, yeah, I knew he was doing this, or I knew he was doing that, or I knew this was going on, I knew this was going on, but I didn't think it was my place to say anything. It's just like, I didn't, you know, surely somebody else will deal with it. You know, he's a pastor, how could I speak to the pastor and tell him he's doing something wrong? And what that did is that actually isolated that person even more. Nobody came alongside that person. Nobody cares for me. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do anyways. And it destroyed whole communities. They were able to save some, some not so much. You know, for some of us, we're thinking, like, nobody cares about me. I've actually got this thing going on. I haven't told anybody. I'm sure some people know but nobody's talked to me about it. I don't know, I'm even thinking that there's somebody online that's, that's why you're online listening. Because I can't go there. I won't be accepted. And it's easier just to stay home, not go to church. It's easier just to be on my own. And that's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to be in conflict. He wants us to be in relationship. So my challenge to you is, who's around you? that can speak truth into you? Who's in your life? If you're not in a circle group, I'd, I'd recommend getting, get into a group of people that will love you and care for you, that you're able to share what's going on in your life, that they're able to see, tell you what they see going on in your life, that you're able to journey together towards that. Like I said, if you're struggling just to believe, go to one of the next Alpha classes that we have. But we want to journey with you, all of you. But we can't do that alone. And when we isolate ourselves, it gets really hard to do that. So we need the community to be a part of what's going on. So if you think that there's a next step for you on your connection card, there's some things that you can check off there. But the information desk as well will point you to wherever it is you need to go. But I'm just going to pray for you. And next week we're going to talk about what do we do when somebody actually hurts us personally? How do we forgive? How do we move on and get to that next step? So let me pray. God, we thank you. We sang earlier that we, we will rest in your promises and our trust is in your faithfulness.
you promise that you're here. Wherever two or three are gathered, you promise that you would move heaven and earth for that one that's walking away because of conflict or something, some sin that's going on in their life. So God, we trust in your faithfulness that you are chasing us down each and every day. Lord, you help us to open our lives up to you, to give you more control of our life. That we would allow people to into our life. We thank you for this community, for this church, and for the people that you've placed around us who do love us and are willing to journey with us. So we ask as we want to know you more that you'd make us more like you, that you'd restore us into right fellowship the way you intended our lives to be. And that we would experience the joy of knowing you more and more every day. Amen.